Hey friend, Graham Baldwin here with The Speaker Lab. Hey, wouldn't it be nice if someone gave you the exact process to find and book more speaking gigs in 2024? That'd be nice, right? Well, I'll tell you what, we're just gonna do that for you. We've created a new 18-page guide based on Dan Irvin's process that helped him actually book over $100,000 in speaking gigs in the past year. Now, Dan is one of our uh, team members here. He's this, a very successful speaker and also one of our coaches. And so you're gonna learn how to get started prospecting, master discovery calls, proposal emails, and so much more. All you got to do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps. Again, that's plural, thespeakerlab.com slash steps. We're going to send you that PDF guide right to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps. That's it. That's all you got to do. Go there. Hey, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. You're awesome. Hey, what's up, friends? Grant Bolden here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. So good to have you here with us today on episode 310310. We've got a great show for you today. We're going to be talking with Brian Lord, who is an agent over at Premier Speakers Bureau. Uh, we're going to be talking all about virtual speaking and really the kind of the current state of the industry as we roll into the last quarter of 2020, which has been quite the year. I think we would all agree. Uh, so Brian's been in the industry actually for over two decades. He's really a, a go-to resource for taking the temperature of how things are now, but also knowing kind of what's coming down the pike in the future. And so in this episode, we're going to be talking about how fees are shifting in this new virtual space. We're going to be talking about what you need to do to adjust to be a better speaker on video and why your response time with leads needs to be quicker than it ever has been before. Now, another thing that we're going to be talking about was just his high level view of the speaking industry as a whole. So I wanted to hear from him. And in fact, one of the first questions I asked him was, hey, are we on the rebound as an industry? Do you think we've seen the bottom of this? Really liked his response. I think you will too. And again, it was one of the first things that we talk about. So you're going to hear that just a few minutes in. So uh, really informative episode. Let's get right into it. Here's my conversation with speaking agent, Brian Lord. Enjoy. Hey, what's up, friends? Graham Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. Today, we're going to be joined by Mr. Brian Lord, who is uh, a bigwig over at Premier Speakers Bureau. Can I call you a bigwig? Is that all right? Sure, if you want to. I do have poofy hair sometimes. It all works right. out. Sometimes, sometimes. So uh, Brian's been an agent uh, at Premier for multiple decades now, and we're going to be talking about Brian uh, about his uh, uh, what he's seeing in the speaking industry right now as one of the people that's on the front lines working with events and speakers and uh, how uh, COVID has really affected things. First of all, before we get there, why don't you kind of give us a snapshot of, of your background in the speaking industry? It sounds like for the majority of your career, you've kind of been in and around it. So uh, give us kind of the overview of, of how you got to this point in your career and what you do now with Premier. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I kind of started in a weird way. When I was a freshman in college, I decided to start a concert production company. And uh, so I was working with national, um, uh, national agencies to book my talent. But I'd gotten this local guy to be the opening act. And we got done. And he said, hey, man, will you be my agent? And I said, sure. What is that? So I had no <laughs> idea what that was. So I just started booking for like 15 bucks at a coffee house and and you know all around indianapolis i'm from indiana originally and and uh and then from there i signed uh this woman evelyn cosby who is a gospel singer which is a different market itself and she was a speaker as well and so um you know doing this for 25 26 years now it helps to start in your you know dorm room uh to have kind of that experience and and so went from there from you know booking coffee houses to uh i booked a lot of my talent from the william morris agency which is you know, one of the largest uh, uh, talent agencies in the world and, uh, and started off there. I'm one of the few people to ever skip the mailroom. That's, you know, William Morris is famous for making these, you know, 
millionaire lawyers start in the in the mailroom, but uh, they kind of needed me to start right away. So uh, graduated, drove down to Nashville, got my start there, and uh, worked in the music industry. I was there for a couple years, and uh, my boss there was rooting for me. It was kind of a rare thing, and he saw knew about this job at Premier, um, and uh, recommended me uh, for that. And that was back in uh, uh, end of '99. So I started January, like the first or second week of uh, January 2000, wow. and uh, to take over the corporate department. And uh, so I've been at Premier since uh, since 2000, and really helped develop that. I think we were somewhere like the 200th biggest bureau, and now we're probably the you know third, fourth, fifth biggest in the country. So seen a lot of growth uh, over the years. Yeah, it's been pretty wild. Uh, and I've, I've, I've only, uh, I've been familiar with you guys for a, uh, a little while, but come good friends with uh, several people there and you guys run an amazing operation and think the world of, uh, of uh, Sean and the agents there. So let's talk about for a, a minute here. You've been in the speaking industry for a while. So you've been around when 9-11 happened, when the recession mm -hmm. happened in 2007, 2008 or so. Uh, is this pandemic that we're in right now, is this, how is this similar? How is this different than other, dips that we've seen in the speaking industry in the past? Well, I think the biggest, it's, I, I think of it as sort of a combination of the two, uh, because uh, the, you know, with 9-11, that was like a hard stop. Yeah. And with this, it was kind of like a hard stop. Nobody knew what to do. Uh, but after 9-11, it, it uh, recovered fairly quickly. And I don't have the exact numbers, but, but people estimate about half the bureaus in the country went out of business after 9-11. Wow. And, uh, and then the same thing after, after 2008, 2009, although that was longer, but not as sudden. So yeah. this has the length of impact as well as the suddenness. So I, I think of it as kind of the two things put together there. Um, you know, for us, we've always been sort of technologically forward for Premier. Like we feel like we've been, uh, people view us as that. So when there was this really quick shift to Zoom meetings or virtual presentations, uh, even though we, we probably did as many as, any, as anybody else, uh, a lot of people, I think, turned to us. So we haven't been hit as hard as some other places. You know, we still have uh, all the agents. Uh, there's been some staffing impact, but not nearly as much as others. So we're, we're you know, a really high percentage of the people that were at Premier in February are still at Premier now. Um, and uh, so for us, it hasn't been, been as big a change. There has been, uh, in, in terms of staffing, uh, there has been a lot of change, obviously, in terms of uh, going virtual. So probably something like 80% of the events that we booked, we're still booking in-person events. They're just, uh, you know, people aren't uh, touting them. They don't want to have a focus of that. But probably, I don't know, uh, Sean would probably have more numbers. Uh, but I'd probably say like 80% of the events that we're booking right now are uh, virtual events and that we've done over the past four or five months. So whenever all this started to unfold back in, you know, January, February, especially going into to March there, uh, as it's kind of unfolding and playing out, are you thinking like this is going to be, you know, a couple of months and we're going to get through this or uh, how has this been different or, or similar than what you anticipated it would be? Well, I think with everything, you just have to think a combination of short term, long term. So for us, we've always been really big on relationships with our clients and with speakers and so that was a big thing to maintain that. So even if you lose out money on the, on the beginning, on short term, uh, you, you realize that uh, you have to have event planners to book events. Right. So we kind of looked at it as our, as our big job was to help event planners keep their jobs. And so part of that was just education on what a virtual event is, how you can use speakers in a different way. Uh, and, and that way that these event planners who have been doing something one way for so long 
had the skills and tools to be able to start doing something else. Even if they were doing events that didn't have speakers, we knew that if event planners kept their jobs, uh, that they could, uh, you know, if they were able to pull off a virtual event, even without a speaker, nothing else in June, maybe October or January or the following June, they'd be able to, to have their jobs so they're still able to uh, keep booking speakers and hopefully book some, some from us if we're able to. But the big overall goal was education and supporting event planners and speakers in that, in that kind of initial phase. So at the time of this recording, we're in kind of a closing in on, on mid-September or so. Uh, I know before we started recording, you'd mentioned that, you know, things have been a little bit slower over the summer. Things are sound like they're starting to pick back up. What are you kind of seeing as just the general trend? Uh, are bookings starting to pick back up? Are event planners starting to get more comfortable with, hey, we're in it. We're not getting out of it, uh, perhaps anytime soon. So uh, one of the things I, I keep telling speakers all the time is that uh, the audiences, the event planners, they, they still have a problem that you can solve. And so mm -hmm. if, if ideally it happens in an in-person environment, but if it can't, there's still a problem that as speakers we're, we're responsible for helping to solve and provide some type of solution. So what are you seeing as some of the trends right now? Uh, do you feel like we're at the bottom of this? Are we starting to come out of it? Are people, event planners that you're talking to starting to become a little bit more uh, relaxed and, and book things whether that's live or uh, or virtual or what, what's kind of the, the the your hand on the pulse right now yeah I mean I think it bottomed out for us probably about three months ago or so uh, at least for me anyway I'm in the corporate space so we have different agents that handle uh, different sectors so ten different agents each of whom are handling a different area of focus so uh, you know you've got education speakers political uh, arena uh, or agent um, and then you know international and then you've got you know, focus on healthcare, focus on real estate, or focus on these different areas. Uh, I kind of have corporate that other people don't have. So, you know, banking and insurance and some others are, are a few of my areas of focus. Um, but I think uh, in terms of that, it's definitely going up. So what we thought might happen seems to have appeared to have happened that initially there was just kind of this freeze that a lot of people, at least in the corporate space, just weren't sure what to do. They'd never done a virtual event. Uh, and even if they had done a smaller virtual event or maybe simulcast something, the executives weren't uh, as on board or weren't as familiar with it. So once the executives and uh, event planners were able to get more educated on virtual and that it can be more effective, um, that uh, they were, now they went from, they did kind of like a test event. A lot of people kind of did, okay, we're just going to do this one. And it's just going to be for the sales team and we're just going to try it out and see how it goes. And uh, once they worked out the kinks, okay, now we'll spend money on a speaker. Now we'll go up and and uh, try to do these uh, try to do these things. And and so for them, I think that's what's happening now. So a lot of our event planners have gone from that sort of free frozen to educated to now they're booking, and some are even spending more on speakers than they ever had before because they're not spending any money on ho hotels or catering or sound and lights or anything like that. Do you think that virtual is just a, a band-aid or do you think virtual is going to have a, a real place in the market going forward? Uh, I think it is. I, mean, I think it is to, to a point where some event planners are like, wow, I'm not going to have an event for two years. I need to yeah. figure out some kind of event. So I think uh, hybrid events will be something that are going to be more commonplace in the future. Um, so, so far speakers have just had to adjust to, okay, I used to say no one could ever record my presentation or nobody could ever keep a recording of it for 30 days or something like that. And now, um, you know, every speaker, uh, we had one who said they wouldn't do it. And finally they gave in. Of course, by that time, the client had changed their mind, but, uh, you know, pretty much all speakers, um, have said that, uh, you know, Hey, um, I will allow my presentation to be recorded and viewed for 30 days on a password protected site. Um, one thing I will mention speakers, sort of a tip that is 
actually helps event planners, but, uh, and event planners have been the ones that have told this us in the first place. But if you do have a recording available, um, you always want to have a uh, timeline on that, whether it's seven days, 14 days, 30 days. And that actually helps the event planner because if their attendees know, hey, I missed this, but I only have 14 days to view it, that means that they're getting that, that message within a relative time period of everybody else on their team. Because if you leave it open-ended, they'll keep going, oh, I'll get to it, I'll get to it, I'll get to it, and they never actually do. So for event planners, it helps them to get a higher percentage of their people to view your presentation if there is a deadline on viewing it. What are you seeing as far as uh, speaking fees for virtual? I know for a little bit there is a bit of the wild, wild west and everyone's going like, I, I don't know. You'd have some people in the camp of, well, my IP is still my IP and I'm charging full price. And some people are going like, it's not the same. And so there's no, it doesn't make any sense to charge full price. I'm staying home and still giving a good, it's a good presentation, but I'm, it's not the same. So what are you kind of seeing as like how some of the dust is settling on, on speaking fees for virtual? Well, I mean, from, from the speaker standpoint, it's what I've heard is, it, it is they have to work twice as hard. And from the client standpoint, it, the value seems to be about half as much. So uh, now there's some speakers, you know, there's some speakers that are discounted at 90%. Yeah. And, you know, we saw one speaker was like, just tell me what you want to pay me and that's okay. Wow. Um, but uh, generally it's around 50%. That's what most are. If somebody's a really high fee speaker, they're probably not getting 50% unless they don't care and they only want to get two this year. Um, but I would say if you're in that five, 10, 15, $20,000 range, you're probably going to be about half your fee and it will be more work. I don't know if it's actually more work or that you did so much work to do your in-person keynote that it didn't feel like work. Yeah. And now that you're doing virtual, I think maybe by the time you do your 30th virtual event, it won't feel like as much work as when you've done your first, second, third virtual presentation. Hey friends, do you know the five steps to book more gigs and get paid as a speaker? Well, if not, listen up because these same five steps to help me to grow a seven-figure speaking career are all laid out in great detail in my latest book, The Successful Speaker. Five steps for booking gigs, getting paid, and building your platform. Whether you want to speak as a side hustle or your dream is to become a full-time professional speaker, I know what it takes. I share all of that with you in this definitive step-by-step -step roadmap. Let me be your guide, learn from my mistakes, get paid what you know you're worth to share your unique message on stage. If you wanna read the first chapter for free or just check out the book, go to thespeakerlab.com slash book. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash book. Check out your copy of The Successful Speaker. We're used to as speakers getting up on stage and someone else is dealing with the lights and the camera and the audio and the setup. And like now you're, you're kind of playing all of the parts uh, at one time. So it, it definitely makes it a little bit more challenging. What are you seeing from speakers as far as are most speakers embracing virtual? Hey, this is a lot of fun. I can do more presentations uh, and I can be home. I'm not on planes as much, which is obviously the, the non-glamorous, non-sexy part of being a speaker. Or are you seeing more speakers who are going, uh, this sucks. It's not the same. Like, I don't, I don't want to do this. I'm just buying time until I can get back in person. Uh, what are you hearing from speakers right now? Well, I mean, I think there are a small percentage who've just said, hey, I, I'm just kind of going to shut down until I can do it in person again. And those are the yeah. ones that kind of have that. They have that luxury of doing it. For those where it's still their main source of income and they still have to have income for a while, they've had to embrace it. So some, some were already kind of there. Like I think, are you, you're friends with John Acuff, right? Yeah, 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 totally. Yeah, so he's, he's, um, he's somebody who's been doing video and all kinds of things forever. So for him, it was a really easy transition because yep. he's 
he knows how to be funny on video, which is sort of a different skill set than being funny on stage uh, and still being able to impart wisdom uh, and, you know, editing things together, that sort of thing. So for him, uh, for somebody like that, it's a pretty, it was an easier switch or more comfortable switch to uh, doing virtual for other people. I mean, it's a whole new thing. And that's, that's what people have to understand is that it's, it's a different animal. Uh, you can use the same content, but it has to be delivered in a different way. Um, it has to be a little bit shorter and punchier. You have to get close or you know similar amounts into 30 minutes that you did into 60 minutes because people just don't pay attention as much for 60 minutes. That's something we've had to teach event planners too, is that people will start to drop off and tune out um, after uh, after so long. Um, and so uh, for for event planners and for speakers, getting used to that shorter window and still making as much impact has been, has been an adjustment. Then also just using things like, you know, the video and slides and whatever else it might be. Um, it's definitely a learning curve and I, I feel bad for speakers having to, to learn that sort of thing um, in order to make a living or, or feel bad for the effort they have to do. But it is something that's really necessary. Um, a story I was telling people, I, I've spoke at the NSA, the National Speakers Association convention, I think it was 2005, it, whatever it was, is crazy hot down in Atlanta. And we were uh, like in a basement and we just unleashed or unveiled our virtual uh, or not a virtual, but our online uh, proposal. So they're basically like photo video bio that somebody could click on a link online and see, which at the time was just revolutionary. And the eight and the speakers, uh, one of the speakers uh, at the time, you know, speakers created these PDFs or actually some of them did PDFs, but most did what they called one sheets where their photo bio yep. on a piece of paper and they'd spent all this time like, how's this going to be configured? And what's the word count? And it's just this one piece of paper. And that was their whole life on that one thing. And they would send boxes of these to bureaus and bureaus would put them in the mail and mail them out. And we, we put together this proposal and that kind of did away with that. And it, they had put so much into the formatting of their message. And uh, even though they'd still be able to deliver their message via what we were sending out, they just couldn't handle the guys like, what do I do with all this stuff? What is it? What are these, what are these uh, one sheets now? And I kind of jokingly said landfill. Cause I was really young now and I was obnoxious. <laughs> I was like, those are landfill. And um, I got some laughs, but that guy was clearly not amused because he had spent so much time perfecting this one way of communicating the message. And I said, yeah. well, you know, if everybody went, uh, went uh, deaf, you'd all become writers because what you are are message bearers. Yes. So you have to learn how to adjust to what people are doing. So if, if people can't learn one way, figure out another way to do it. Because like you said at the beginning, people still need that message. They still yep. need to be inspired. They still need to know how to do innovation. They still need to learn how to do change and leadership and all these other things that you talk about. But the method of the way they are receiving it has changed somewhat. So you're ahead of somebody just starting from nowhere because you already have a message. You just have to learn a different way to do it. You have to stop using your one sheets. You have to stop using your, your podium uh, uh, or your stage presence and take that message and transfer it and communicate it in a different way. So it's, you're not starting from scratch, but you are having to take a few steps back and figure out a new process in order to get your message across to people. All right. I want everyone to go back, rewind it a minute or two, listen to all of that again. That is so, so good. Just because <laughs> things have shifted, things have changed in the marketplace, doesn't put anybody out of business, but you absolutely have to adapt. You can't be the speaker that says, I'm just going to stick my head in the sand and hope this magically goes away and hope everything resumes. Like we're, we're in it now. So we, we got to adjust, we got to adapt. So you touched on a couple things there about virtual speaking. Are there any other best practices that you've seen, especially those that are getting above 50% of their normal 
speaking fee, anything that they're doing that has made a big difference. Uh, one thing I've noticed, for example, is uh, just the actual setup. Like there, there are some speakers that are like, I got my normal webcam, or I got my laptop camera, and you know that's kind of the extent of it. That's all they want to do, and that's fine. And then you see some that's like, no, I've really gone into making this a, a bigger production, and they they've spent the cash on it, uh, and they've taken it much more seriously. And because of that the production value is reflected in their speaking fee. Are there anything else that you're seeing that uh, speakers that are charging more or getting more on their virtual fees are doing or not doing that's made a difference? Well, I think the overall thing, and this just goes with anything, like you could have somebody who's got this great big stage presentation, but they don't get paid as much as somebody who's a better speaker. Yeah. So I think you do have to be a good speaker above the bells and the whistles. So if it fits your format to just do what we're doing here, I mean, that's not too bad. So some speakers have adapted to Q&A and they're thought leaders. Like one, like one speaker who I never would have thought of doing this, that's what he's doing now um, uh, is this sort of Q&A type of thing. Yeah. Now for him, um, you have different audiences. So when you're working with people who know you and you're, they don't have to be sold on you, like we already know, okay, Grant is great. Whatever he says, we're going to get. So that's one audience that you have. So you can sell a different product to them than you can when you're trying to sell through a bureau to people who've never heard of you. Mm -hmm. So you've got two different audiences. So I would say for that sort of Q and a type of thing, you know, uh, an evening with such and such, uh, or a conversation or a fireside chat with, with such and such, go ahead and put that together and send it to people who already know you and who will listen to basically whatever you say. Um, and so we've found that that's been, um, and I don't know that I'm booking all those. A lot of times speakers are booking those directly. Um, I do go back and say, okay, if, if somebody's, if a speaker is doing that, or I, I record something like this with them, I'll go ahead and send it to them and to the client and say, Hey, you can do this with them. So that's one package that you can do where you're already established as an expert in their mind. And you can do this sort of Q and a thing, even if you're like a magician or an artist or something else that's highly visual for whatever reason, they'll still talk to you like this yeah. without all the bells and whistles. Now, for the other thing, if you are trying to sell it on that, I mean, you do have to put together a new proposal. So yeah. if you, even if you have a great like um, uh, five, seven minute demo reel of you on stage, you have to get one for virtual. People, event planners always, uh, what I tell speakers is event planners are less worried about having a great speaker and more worried about having a not bad speaker. Like they don't want to mess up. They don't want to lose their job. Yep. And so they will go with a safer option that they can see than the potentially great option. So you have to go ahead and make some kind of demo reel of you doing virtual. If you don't have one, you need to, and it's the easiest thing to make. I mean, you can make one this afternoon. Um, at least you have something and the event player can go, okay, they've at least done it once. Whereas yeah. there is a worry that they're and it's fact too, people have never done a virtual event. They're great on stage. They never once tried to do virtual or talk into a camera or get that different feel. So you as a speaker, you need to get in your reps, do a video, go over like game film and see what did I do well? What did I not do well? How did the slide look on this the, when it looks different than it was on stage? How did this video look? Um, and you have to get through and make that really, really good for yourself. Um, you also need to tailor your speech topics to virtual. And so I will even tell a speaker like the, you could have the same thing, uh, you know, leadership in tough times and in parentheses beside that put virtual. Just putting that puts an event planner at ease. Okay, this is made for this time because it's virtual. And it's just that small little thing that you just put in a word in parentheses and it makes that more legitimate to an event planner who's considering getting you. 
Um, so, I mean, those are a couple of things. Was there another part of the question? I'm hopefully I'm answering everything. No, no, I got, I do have a bunch of other follow-up questions, but that's good. Yeah. So, but I think a great point there is that, you know, we've been telling speakers just because you're a good speaker, doesn't mean that you're a good virtual speaker and they are in some ways, two different skill sets. And so speaking to an audience uh, of a hundred or 500 or a thousand people in a room is different than being in an empty room and you're talking to a camera to a hundred, 500 or a thousand people that may be watching. So it is like, it's important that you, you demonstrate that, that you show that to uh, potential event planners who maybe can considering hiring you. Uh, one thing I'm curious about is uh, when you talk about like the, the proposal side, uh, when, it, when most speakers are hired for an event, they are hired for a, a specific thing. There's a lot of variables and logistics and details that are going into this. Most events are being booked, you know, three to six to 12 months out, depending on the size and scale of the event, sometimes further out, sometimes closer in. But whenever it comes to something like virtual, uh, oftentimes it's not like, hey, we've been, we've been planning this virtual event for several months and now it's here. It, it could be this, as little as like, we would love to have some type of, you know, additional training that happens next week. So two part question. One is, are you seeing, what are you seeing as far as like timelines of how far out uh, virtual things are being booked because they logistically are much, much simpler. It's, it's not much more than a link that is needed for an audience or to put something together. And two, are you seeing that, that organizations or groups are, are planning specific things or is it more coming from a speaker recognizing and reaching out to potential clients saying, Hey, my guess is you're probably struggling with this, this, and this right now. Here, I'm gonna proactively provide a solution to you that, that we could help your team or your company or your event or organization right now. How are you seeing that virtual events are, are being booked? Is it the speakers that are reaching out or is it the events that are reaching out to the speakers? Well, from our side, so we don't do a lot with the speakers directly reaching out to the clients, but we do have a lot where speakers are sending, hey, here's, here's what I'm doing right now with virtual. Here's my new virtual demo. Yeah. And uh, because of the fear level, um, clients are much more likely to rebook somebody faster for virtual than they would have rebooked them for an in-person event. So um, like if, you know, sometimes they book you for your kickoff event or if, you know, IBM books somebody for their kickoff event in January of 2020, they're not going to book them again for that till 2025. You know, they, they want to have some spacing out between yep. when that person is seen again. However, if they just book them in 2020 and there's just so much fear, like you go to what you know when you're uncertain. Yep. And so it is much more likely they'll book you for this fall. So I would definitely go back to that person that you, you spoke for in January or last year and say, hey, this has some of that content that you know, uh, but, um, but there's new stuff in here. It's adapted for our times. And for the event planners too, what factors in with them is that they can get a wider audience now by having virtual events. So uh, before they could only have a thousand of their 5,000 people see a speaker. So even if they're bringing you back and you're having some content, they're getting 80% of the people who didn't see you that time to see you this time. Yeah. And so that's something that's a little bit different for the event planner that gives you an advantage as a speaker because you can go back a lot sooner than you would have. So I would definitely go back to those people who it's, you know, say, oh, they just had me. I've only really got one speech. I can't go back to them for a few years because they had too much audience uh, uh, overlap, but that's really not the case this time. Interesting. What are you seeing as far as the timeline? Are you finding that uh, virtual things are being booked a lot closer in that, hey, we, we need a speaker next week uh, versus, yeah. hey, we have a conference that's coming up in, in you know, eight months. Uh, what are you seeing as far as the, the lead time? Yeah, I've booked a lot that are next week. So it's, uh, you know, I had one where I didn't get the contract in until two days after the, the recording took place. So, <laughs> and it was one of those things I couldn't believe it cause it was a high profile speaker that never does that. But yeah. a lot of things are happening that never happened before. Yeah. Um, but, uh, so I would say, uh, definitely that's why you have to be prepared. 
like some people are saying, oh, okay, they're interested. Let me put something together for you and I'll get it to you next week. Well, that's too late. Yeah. Next week is too late. Uh, so you have to have this stuff ready. And uh, just because there, it's such a compressed time schedule, I have so many that are still booking. Like I just booked one as October 6th. And that was one where, and it was, it was a weird one just because I started on this in February. They were going to get an in-person event and then they just went radio silent for three months and they came back, Hey, we want to do virtual and we really want to get a hundred thousand dollar speaker for $5,000. And of course they had to get over that hump that the hundred thousand speakers not going to do it for 5,000. And then they finally got the speaker that they almost got in February. And so that speaker had to have patience where, you know, and you know, he was still open, but I mean, that's just going to happen a lot where, um, you kind of have to swallow your pride because normally you want to say, Hey, I'm only going to hold this date for two weeks. Well, no, it's, it takes people longer now. And then they want to book it a lot closer in. So you have to be you know, really flexible. You have to be patient. You have to realize if you're working with a bureau, they're trying, uh, you, you, uh, and some, spe- most speakers are really good about understanding that an agent can only do so much. You can't make a client make a decision any more than an event planner can make a decision. They've got to wait on their executive. So yeah. there's a whole chain of people doing it. So I think as a speaker, you have to be ready. You have to be able to get something back to somebody, you know, this afternoon, you're not traveling. So you don't have that excuse. Oh, I was on a plane for three days. I couldn't get this to you. No, I just, you got to get into that habit of, okay, I got, I just got this hold request or I just got this request from an agent and um, maybe get some details from the agent to say, okay, well, here's what I've done before for this. Um, Maybe you record a 60 second video saying, Hey, um, ABC company, I've heard that you're interested in me for your sales conference next week or whenever it is, October 6th or October 15th. Um, you know, I've spoken to a lot of groups like this before. I'd love to scru- uh, speak to your group about X, Y, and Z, and hopefully you um, decide to go with me. You know, something like that. And you're done that quickly, and you shoot it off to the agent. The agent sends it over to that client um, along with any written materials that you might have. And then you can get that a lot, you know, hopefully you get that business as opposed to the other person's like, Oh, Hey, yeah, let me think about it and get something to you next week. And the truth is speed works in any uh, context in any space. Like the, the quick, I know I've personally booked gigs just because I was the first to respond. They sent an email out to probably, you know, three or four or five different speakers. And I was really quick on it and I called them and had a good conversation and they booked me. So speed is very, very effective, very, very uh, important for any speaker. Uh, I'm curious, let's look into the magic crystal ball for a second here. Uh, like we mentioned at the beginning, you've been through a lot of, of just kind of ups and downs in the speaking industry. What do you kind of see as the coming year, 2021, 2022, and beyond? What are the long-term impacts and implications on the speaking industry from COVID? Are, are big events going to happen ever again? You know, the, the 1,000, 5,000 person events. Are we going to see more boutique events? Uh, what are the things that you're gonna, you think you're, we're going to see in the, the coming years? Well, I mean, I think virtual will still be a reality for a while, but that's always going to be an option. So before it was maybe 2% of the time. And now in the future, it could be 25% of the time. I don't know. Yep. Uh, the thing that I keep hearing from event planners that they miss is not so much in-person speakers. This benefits in-person speakers. But the thing that people miss the most is networking. They really want to be around their colleagues that they haven't seen for a long time. They want to be together with them. And they want to get away. You know, there are so many things that are the, the, the reason why they do events aren't always just to learn from great speakers. Uh, but the thing is, is that they do want to get away. They do want to meet that celebrity, even if they do some kind of thing where they're not actually shaking hands. You can still do some kind of picture with a vinyl or like a wall between you that you right. can't see, but you're still there in the same picture with them. 
uh, you know, uh, so the people want to get together and we're just humans and we're wired that way. We want to do it. So I, I don't want to get in the political side of, well, I think this is going to be passed or something like that. But I think the long-term thing is that people do like getting together in big events. Companies do better when they're able to get together with, uh, with large events that people that don't see each other are able to connect. Some of those things you talk about as a speaker are about making connections, are about getting together, are about being on the same team. And it's really hard to do that only virtually. I think virtual events and virtual meetings, those sort of things, you can take a lot of really good benefits from them, but there's no replacing being together in person in a place that's a cool place in you know, Orlando or Cozumel or something like that. And, um, and then they want a speaker there too. So I think that, that there is definitely a future for that. There are in-person events going on right now. Usually those are ones that it's not a thousand people flying to Las Vegas. It's 150 people who all drove there uh, you know, from the same state or the same region and it's shorter and they're able to space out. Um, hopefully hotels adjust. I know some haven't, you know, they're mm -hmm. saying, okay, you only have a hundred people, but we're going to charge you for the space for 300 so that you can space out. And that's actually killed a lot of events for me just because a hotel in a certain, certain States mm -hmm. are having weird requirements like that, that we're going to charge you for 300 just because of the spacing and it, it shoots themselves in the foot in my opinion. But I think that they'll adjust eventually um, and that um, people will get back together in the future. Maybe not the same percentage. Hopefully what that means is that instead of just booking fewer events all over, maybe it's a little bit fewer on um, the uh, live in-person event mm -hmm. side, but they will increase the virtual ones as well. So I think there's a lot of things there where you could book the speaker maybe in person and you've got some follow-up things virtually. Do you, uh, what do you see as the tipping point where uh, in-person live events really start to come back? I've heard some people say like, until there's a vaccine, you know, there's going to be people that are just not comfortable with it. Uh, or do you think like, hey, this is just something we got to learn to live with and it's going to be there whether there's a vaccine or not. Is there anything that event planners are saying that uh, will give them some comfort and uh, reassurance to, to start like moving forward with events again? Well, I think it really depends. Um, you know, you know, speakers talk all over the country. Um, I think it really depends on where I talk to people in the country. You know, my yeah. brother lives in California. I live in Tennessee and they're two completely different worlds. Yep. Uh, and so um, I think um, in-person events, uh, people are seeing that, uh, or at least the ones that we've, we've had and we've seen, there've been no issues with them. And so they'll start to see, okay, this will, um, they're fine to do. Um, a lot of those are hybrid. I will say that where yeah. you've got in per people in person, but those who aren't comfortable are able to watch it online or see it recorded. So I think it'll probably fill out, uh, you know, they always say America, if you look at history, America started at the edges and worked its way to the middle. I think it'll probably be the opposite of that. It'll probably, you know, live events will probably start in the middle and work their way to the edges. Interesting. Uh, all right. One final question here. Uh, what would it, what advice would you give to speakers right now who are going, boy, everything's just kind of up in the air. I'm trying to pivot. I'm trying to keep up. I'm trying to stay one step ahead. I don't know how things are going to shake out. This is tough. This is stressful. So one, what would you say to, to those just speaking speakers in general, but two, there's a lot of speakers that we, we work with and who listen to, to the show who are early and I just got started and then this hit, or I'm getting, trying to get started in the midst of this. So what would you say to those speakers who are trying, trying to build up some, some momentum in the thick of what feels like a, an inopportune time to, to build and grow a speaking business? Well, I mean, you just, you just look at innovation. Sometimes the late arriver, uh, late arrivers are the, the ones who are sometimes get ahead of it. Like if you, like if you look at cell phones around the world, you know, United States had like the lowest percentage per 
person than you know different countries in Africa because they they didn't have those wired phones. So their their cell phones were their only option. So if you yeah. go to different countries in Africa, they they are only they only know mobile phones. Whereas like some people and we're one of them, we still have like a wired phone. Like part of it <laughs> is just to show the kids, you know, or if there's like an emergency blackout or something like that. Right. Uh, they're like, this is what a cord is on a phone, kids. My wife is actually getting one. It's like a shoe phone. Um, but, uh, you know, but those sort of things, a lot of countries around the world adapted in a different way than yeah. those who are already, you know, stuck and established and everything else. So it's kind of an advantage for you because you will always be a hybrid speaker. You'll be able to speak um, uh, virtually and in person where it's so hard for certain speakers to adapt to this just because they've been doing something 20 some years one way. Uh, without doing it another um, I think but for overall for for every every speaker what I would say to you is just remember why you are doing this and who you're doing it for like if it's just for a paycheck you're probably going to have a really tough time right. but if you have a message that really makes a difference in people's lives if you have something that can change them it makes them better remember that so when you're going through these times and trials and changes and everything else Remember the reason why you're doing it is to help people to make their lives better, to make this country live in this world we live in better. And that should hopefully help you through in getting through this difficult time. Very good. Very good. Brian, we appreciate the time. Uh, I will uh, give you a, uh, give everyone a quick disclaimer here for Brian's sake. Uh, this is something I do with every uh, bureau person or agent or anybody. Uh, don't harass Brian. Okay. He doesn't have this flood of gigs. He's like, man, I just need speakers. Send me speakers. No, no, no that's not the case. All right. So don't harass him. Don't stalk him. Don't annoy him. Okay. So I'm doing this for Brian's protection here. Uh, he's probably happy to help you, but don't pester him uh, to book you gigs right now. All right. He, he, he doesn't have this flood of gigs to work with. So Brian, yeah. we appreciate the time, man. Um, if people want to find out more about you or, or what you're up to, again, I'd encourage people to go to the Premier's website. Anywhere else people can go to find you? Uh, I mean, uh, social media, I do. Uh, so I think it's uh, Premier Brian is, is Twitter, um, where I you know, kind of forward stuff. It's more promotional. I'm not super relational on, on Twitter. Um, and you are right. I think four or five years ago, I figured out that I get 41 requests a day, something about 10,000 a year. And that was a while ago. Uh, but I will tell people, go ahead and bug Sean Hanks at Premier Speakers. <laughs> Flood his inbox, whatever you want to do. Uh, Grant do and Brian but, sent you. But, but share this with other people just so that I get more listens than Sean. That's my, that's my I don't really care about helping speakers. <laughs> I just want to have more, more listens, more views than Sean. So I go out and, and do that. We've had Sean on the on the show a couple times. Uh, he actually, I don't know if you knew this, uh, as a quick side note, we were neighbors for a minute. Uh, so when I first moved to town, uh, I was friends with, with uh, John Acuff. And uh -huh. I said, hey, I'm looking to interview someone at Premier. Who do you got? He introduced me to Sean. And uh, Sean and I chatted. And he's like, where do you live? And turned out we lived a block away from each other in the same neighborhood. So <laughs> Sean's one of my favorite people in the speaking industry. Great guy. And you guys are, are doing great work over there in, uh, at Premier. So Brian, again, we, uh, we appreciate the time. All right. Hey, thanks so much. All right, there you go. Hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Speaker Lab Podcast. And before you take off, don't forget if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a rating and review within iTunes. We read every single one of those. It helps, it helps other people to find the show. Listen, we, we don't charge anything for you to listen to these. We don't have any ads or anything. We do this because we want to serve and support speakers like you. So one small favor we ask of you is that you would leave us some type of a rating and review. Again, we really, really do appreciate that. If you're looking for more help, support as a speaker as you build and grow your business at whatever stage you're at, don't forget to check out thespeakerlab.com, thespeakerlab.com. We got a ton of free resources and tools over there. So again, check it out over at thespeakerlab.com. 
All right, my friends, that wraps up today's episode. We appreciate you hanging out with us. We'll catch you next time. You're awesome.